We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a special edition of True Faith Weekly Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, joined today by True Faith editor uh, Michael Martin and longtime True Faith writer Wallace Wilson. We're here to make you all very jealous and talk about the four hours each of us spent with Newcastle United manager Rafa Benitez. Don't really know where to start with this one. We've got a lot to get through. So, Michael, why don't you take us away? First of all, how did this come about? How, how, how has True Faith managed to get around the table with Rafa Benitez? Well, that's a million dollar question. Um, it's a funny one because um, without name dropping, which is normally the precursor to doing some name dropping, mm-hmm. um, I'm on kind of reasonable terms with uh, Peter Hooten, who um, is, some of you might know, who follow music as the lead singer of The Farm, um, a formerly editor of the seminal fanzine The End from the 80s, and um, who's also a bit of a mover and shaker with the uh, Spirit of Shankly group, the Liverpool supporters group. And when Rafa came to Newcastle, um, I, rang him, I, said, I rang him and said, kind of, what do you make of him? And, and, he, said, and he said, well, he's loved on Merseyside uh, for a variety of different reasons. I think winning the Champions League is going to put some credit in the bank, isn't it? And, other, and a lot of other honours as well when he was there. Um, but I think he connected with the supporters groups down there uh, in particular, and he made it his business to, uh, to have a relationship with them. So... Pete was telling me that um, uh, there were several occasions when he had different supporters groups around Melwood and, uh, and he said, he says it was like some kind of Shakespearean soliloquy when he went up to Melwood one day and he was kind of talking through all the things that were going on at Liverpool at quite a, a strange time around the Hicks and Gillette kind of uh, era at the club and he said he was absolutely fantastic uh, company. Uh, and he said he could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and he said uh, he says he was very enthusiastic very committed very professional etc so when Pete said that um, if, when he first arrived at the club I thought we might have an in here with this guy and then so it came as kind of not much of a surprise when we got when we were contacted by the club and invited to to pop along to um, to the training ground wasn't altogether unexpected. It's part of his modus. Well, it was unexpected for me on that Monday morning. I don't know about you, Wallace, but it's a bit of a shock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, had a pleasant shock. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I'm sure you were the same, Wallace. And we thought because me, me, I'll just explain for listeners. Me, me, and Wallace, and uh, one of the gentlemen were were along um, just after the Huddersfield defeat. So we're getting on for about a month now. 
and then Michael and some of some of the lads were was it last week now? Yeah. So a bit of a gap. Um, so a lot and quite a lot happened in uh, in Newcastle United since the two meetings. But I thought we'd be there for half an hour. I thought there'd be a photo. I thought we'd be on your way, lads. I've got stuff to do and. I can't exaggerate enough how much of his time he was willing to give to us. He didn't clock watch once, he ignored the phone. We, the phone rang several times, no doubt more important people than you or I, Wallace, uh, on the end of it, and he, he's an absolute gentleman. And I know that's probably not a shock to everybody listening to this, but it's worth repeating how much um, how much of his time and, and you know, and how, and how much detail he went into us uh, with, with a number of things was, was a really massive uh, privilege on my part. I'm sure you lads feel the same. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So, yeah, totally. So, Wallace, when we were there, what was the, I know this is a hard question, what was the biggest thing that you took away from that meeting with him in terms of, uh, you know, him being the Classic United manager? Well, I think the thing that made the biggest impression on me was, um, and I'm just really echoing what Michael's just said, is the obvious enthusiasm he has for the job. Um, you could tell from meeting him that he was in a place that he wanted to be. Um, the way he took us around the, uh, the training centre, he must have spent about 45 minutes just showing us around the place. And it reminded me a little bit of Bobby Robson uh, because he was, he was extolling the virtues of the new painting that it had done in the, in the offices. And he said, look, it's lighter and that makes people feel different about the way, that, you know, the way they're behaving and what have you. And I remember we went to look at the, uh, the internal um, new 4G pitch. And he was looking at the grass and saying, look at this, feel this grass, look at this grass, it's fantastic. Um, so he's obviously a great enthusiast and I think that obviously trans, you know, translates into the way he does his job. Um, like you though, um, I was expecting to be there an hour tops. Um, and you know, you couldn't help but sort of occasionally look at your watch and think, how long is this going to go on for? <laughs> and we're there for an, four and a quarter hours, I think. Yeah. Um, and really, we discussed every possible topic that we could possibly want. And at the end, he was saying, is there anything else you want to know? Is there any, any other questions you want to ask? Yeah. So it was, a, it was a real eye-opener for me. For me, there was, there was nothing off the record, either off the table. He was very honest. He was upfront. He didn't pussyfoot around any subjects. If you ask him a question, he'd give you a very straight, direct answer. And that kind of tells me a lot about how he's able to communicate with the players and obviously his record speaks for itself both in Newcastle and before Newcastle but I, I felt I walked out of that room or that the training on that day feeling a little bit embarrassed personally just for some of the things I'd said on the podcast after the Huddersfield defeat not that I was you know, things being overly negative but you were like why isn't Teodio playing or why isn't XYZ playing he was able to break down those questions that we put to him very simply and he was able to judge our understanding of the game, adjust his answer to probably someone, you know, maybe someone who would spend a little bit more time in football. And he was able, he, was, he just seemed like a great communicator. Michael, I'll move on to your meeting now. I'll ask you the same thing. What did you take away, uh, or what was the biggest thing you took away from your meeting? Um, being quite surreal, actually, um, when he, st he stood up on a few occasions and pointed to the tactics board and explained how he set up a defence. Yeah. And uh, and explained that with the uh, magnetic magnetic buttons on the on the on the whiteboard kind of thing. I thought, blinking hell, the ex-manager of Valencia, Inter Milan, Liverpool, Chelsea, and that other team, Real Madrid. Have you heard of them? Um, is standing in front of me explaining how he sets a defence up and asking my opinion on whether or not that works and what it what I think of it, etc. I was thinking. Here's this some kind of raggy host Geordie from Gateshead <laughs> listening to this kind of aristocrat of, Engl of European football go through all of this. 
So uh, there was there was that, but there were some moments of I think of kind of absolute kind of disarming logic to what he was to what he was saying. So you know I asked him a number of questions about how the club signs players and how they do this and do that, and the answers he gave were so between the eyes, common sense, and um, and the. The, the, in his and what he sees as himself, what what his sense of himself is as, as a coach. Um, I don't know if he said we went at different times, didn't we? Um, Wallace and Alex went together, and then I went separately um, for no other reason than convenience, really. Um, but um, he he described himself as a teacher um, when I was when I was there, um, and he obviously gets a a big and he's a trained PT instructor, I gather. I didn't know that about him, um, but uh, and he gets a, like all teachers, he likes working with people who want to learn, um, and I think he places a high value on that, on learning, on players committed to to learning, and um, and he did say something which um, I don't think any of us will now doubt, uh, which is that he will improve all of the players at Newcastle United over this season. So the players that we've got now, you know, we might have one opinion of them. Um, but they will be better players by May, come May, than they are right now. Um, so that they were kind of small things that he said, which kind of there were other, loads of other things. God, mm. you could would be here at the midnight, wouldn't we? Um, dissecting what he told us all, but they, they, that was kind of that. That's what he. That's what he says. I, it was something else as well, because um, I asked him about. Oh, because I've got this thing. I thought, oh, are you happier at a club like? Newcastle with um, you know it's working class background like Valencia and Liverpool and he just said no so it's all about relationships how he relates to the owner of the club how he works with um, Lee Charnley which seems that you know Lee Charnley's had his critics in the past <laughs> the three of us sitting around this table have been amongst his fiercest um, but if, if Rafa thinks he's doing a good job then he's doing a good job um, and we just have to we'll have to accept that and any kind of narrative that we had in our heads about about him not being any good, they're they're completely off the table now because Rafa says otherwise, and he knows, doesn't he? And you know, so so there were those things. So about it was all about relationships, and uh, the relationships he has with the people that run the club, own the club, and all and all the rest. And um, you know, he he not to put too fine a point on it, he did talk kind of um, in some detail about relationships at Real Madrid. And Inter Milan, and Liverpool, and um, you know, and they they are very very important aspects of of how he runs of how any manager runs a football club, and clearly, um, it would appear that right now, that he's in a very happy place. I totally agree with you in terms of that being an important thing I took away. I don't want to talk down his um, feelings for the area or the club, but I was more impressed at how he rated. You know the facilities at the club in terms of what he's turned them into, into the training ground, the stadium, the players he had were a big reason. We, we were saying, why did he take the castle job? And he said, well, we had some very, very good players he thought we could keep up, and 15 points from 10 games didn't end up being enough. And he might have maybe underestimated the character of a couple of them who he's swiftly got rid of. But I was, I was impressed by his, you know. It wasn't an emotional decision to take the job, and we were all thinking, and you know, did we, you know, was the singing at the Spurs game? Mm-hmm. Was that a thing I switched to? And probably no, no, it wasn't. I'm not saying it didn't play a significant role, but he sat down. I think it took two weeks after the end of the season 
the thrash out a deal with Mike Ashley let's not forget who yeah. was integral in that yeah. him signing so I'm really excited by the fact he sees it as a football project not a charity case yeah. not a this is a club on the bones of his arse who's got great fans and they yeah. need a hand no he sees this as a vehicle to Champions League football in my opinion and yeah. that, that excites me greatly because I don't, from speaking to him as well I don't see Rafa Benitez I don't think Rafa Benitez sees himself in three years or four years time not in European football I don't think he has the, the time at, at his age and his coaching experience to languish in the bottom 10 or the bottom 8 or the you know that you know what Stoke are dreaming of the 12th to 8th of the Premier League yeah. I, I think on West Ham maybe I don't think he sees himself remotely interested in that in the long run so that excited me from the meeting Wallace we covered a number of, of topics but when we're going around the training ground he was without and you have to make this very clear he was not critical of Steve McLaren at all it was in fact no. it was the other way and I'll take him at face value uh, he said he's a good friend of Steve McLaren thinks he's a good coach what, what, what impressed you the most about what we saw on that tour of, of kind of what he's changed I mean I think it's his command of the detail um, he's obviously you know has a very good overview of what's going on but it's, it's, it's his ability to get into the detail as well and I mean like I said before you know I mean looking at the uh, the pitch understanding how that works going around the place and talking about the impact that the wind has um, on the way that people train yeah. uh, so they're building wind breaks to protect the, the training pitches in particular one training pitch which obviously is the one that the first team must, must train on um, again I said it before but I mean things like changing the lighting changing the paints I mean it's, it's all about mar you know it's, it's marginal gains isn't it and that, that's really but the, the great thing is that this is a guy who seems to have his finger in every pie which makes up Newcastle United, and he understands the temperature, he understands the cake mix, he understands everything about the way that that particularly works. Um, and if he doesn't understand, then he makes it his job to understand, he makes it his job to find out. Um, he's just, he's, he also seems to me to be a complete football obsessive. Um, it's, you know, from what, I, from, from what I could gather speaking to him, it's really all he thinks about most of the time. Um, and we're just so fortunate to have somebody not only of his ability but his intensity his motivation um you know long may he stay here really oh, i really I, I that i think what you just said there about his obsessiveness for football he's one of those people who you can't imagine doing anything else other than football so you know there's numerous kind of football characters who you can imagine kind of hanging around nightclubs and <laughs> all that kind of going on fashion parades and stuff like that we, you know you all know who I'm referring to etc yeah I can't imagine him ever wanting to do anything other than be on a training pitch or be talking about football be discussing football be analyzing matches or be with his family and I think his family are very very important to him mm -hmm. you know that I mean that came over loud and clear um, but I think yeah, I think you're right. He he just loves football, don't you? I mean, you can you can tell that from every bit. He's t he's total enthusiasm. All three of us can talk, but it was difficult to get a word in oh. at times. It was like you know a stream of consciousness, a very nice one as well. Um, but yeah, he is a football fanatic, isn't he? Mm, yeah, I think the other thing that that, that uh, surprised me a little bit was his um, his physical presence. Mm. You know, he's he's not a he's not a big man. He's not like a giant of a man, but he's he's solid. Mm -hmm. He's about five nine, five ten, and he's just very solidly built. You really wouldn't want to cross him. 
And I wasn't it, thinking about it. No, <laughs> no. But I mean, at the same time, you, you think to yourself, when he's on the training ground and he's telling somebody to do something, then they'll be taking notice. Um, there's nothing apologetic about his manner. He's very confident in his own abilities. He knows he's good. So he goes out there and when he says do something, if they don't do it, as you say, they'll get maybe get one chance. If they don't take that chance, they'll be looking for a job somewhere else. Yeah, we, we were fortunate enough, and this is before the transfer window closed, to get a bit of an insight, which was kind of no secret where they wanted to strengthen. For example, bringing in a target man, a left back. Obviously, you had the benefit of that yeah. when you were there, but it, I was a little bit not overwhelmed, but it seemed overwhelming at the amount of planning that went into everything. So every room we went into, there was football all over the walls, including his office with the tactics board, with the players, went into a coach's office, there was players, there was tactics. You're just surrounded by football, which may not sound surprising for training ground at Newcastle, but the way Rafa was talking, perhaps suggested in the past it hadn't been like that. We, we saw his training plans, not just for the next session, not just for the session after that, but detailed training plans for each opponent, after each opponent. And again, as this is my first time ever in that kind of football environment, but I got the feeling that so much effort and detail goes into everything the players do. There's no such things as training sessions where the players come up and go through the motions or have a warm down or football just seems to be at the centre of everything he thinks about and everything he does. And we got that a little bit from about Johan Gufran in terms of, you know, he, he talked openly about a number of players and, you know, how Saive was a good player and a good lad. And was, you know, we, we thought in the back of our minds, I said to him, I said, well, you see in the media that he's not doing anything, he, is he a bad trainer, is he a bad bloke, does he not? Does he go out drinking, he said, no, he's a great lad, he's not any plans, but he's a really good footballer and a good dancer, he's not, not my plans, it happens, it's football, mm-hmm. and you, when you looked around the place, you could see that on the walls, you could see where he had plans for players, I mean, Tim Quill hadn't gone out on loan, he was still part of the club, but we'd say it was all planned, there was no uh, someone ringing up, thinking, well, this is a good offer, everything Newcastle wanted to do in this transfer window was planned to a T, and I think Rafa, I, I hope and think, got absolutely everything he wanted out of that transfer window and one of the first things he said when we went in if you remember was he showed us the board uh, with all the players names on he says what does that tell you yeah. and I mean this is this is his sort of way of operating isn't it he doesn't just say this is what I'm doing blah 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 it's a conversation what would you do yeah what do you think of this yeah and it was actually asked you the question I think he says uh, what what what, what do you see there? And I think we said, well, obviously you've got centre forward. Too many players. Yeah. I don't want that many players around the training ground. I can't work effectively with that many players. And it comes back to this idea of improving players. If he's got 30 players or 30 plus players, which I think there was on that board at the time, then he obviously has a significant problem in terms of improving them. Whereas if you've got a smaller, tighter squad of 25, 26, you've got a better chance. Smaller classrooms. Small classrooms for the teacher, you know. So you know, reduced number of pupils, mm-hmm. and that's and that's how it, that's how it works. But absolutely right about the attention to detail. When we were going, when I was going around with with, with the um, with, when he was doing the two hour of the training ground, the attention to detail, not wanting what players to walk too far to get to such yeah. a place, wanted the whole place to be to kind of be connected and you know training, you know shower rooms, having the door on and all that kind of thing. You know, and um, it may come as a surprise to our listeners, but I'm a bit of a stranger to elite sports, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know kind of what go what goes into it. But personal plans for the, even the weight room and mm. what I've got to do with certain days, and you know, people just don't go in there like you know, and make rare excursions into a gym and kind of just oh, I fancy the twelves. See if I can see if I can push them around a bit. You know, I'm not. You know, it's just not like that. And but I think. 
Ah, to be fair, I'm sure Alan Pardew was doing much the similar things, but it's the it's the fractional kind of differences that you get from from your, from 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 him. But it is attention to detail and then the, the tiniest elements of prep. He, t- he told us an interesting story when we were there about the way that different clubs manage players with injuries. Mm-hmm. And um, he was talking about the, the importance of doctors in, in the club. And at some clubs, the, in, I think he said particularly in English clubs, there is a tendency for the doctors to say, better get a scan on that. Yeah. Whereas in some other clubs, they're saying, no, you're all right, away you go. Mm-hmm. Get on the training ground, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And you just got the impression that you know, he was aware of the fact that Newcastle had a long-standing injury issue. Yeah. And, I mean, how many have we got in the training room this week? One or two? One or two, yeah. So he's obviously making an impact. Absolutely. Whatever he's doing is the right, the right thing. But, again, you know, attention to detail, wanting to know and be professional about everything. And, you know, in the past, maybe they haven't, they haven't been uh, um, across that as much as, the, as much as they would. But he's also in charge, isn't he? You know, he's in charge of the football club. Um, one of the questions asked him was pretty loaded, I suppose, which was around signing players. Uh, and it's it's not letting the cat out of the bag, but clearly he has the 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 authority to sign players. But he doesn't have the kind of the monopoly on that. So talk to when he was talking about it, he was talking about. Lee Charnley and the software that he uses, which a lot of clubs do, the Y Scout stuff. Mm. So he was talking about the results that that generates, and he's open-minded to all of that. Like a good teacher, he hasn't got his set syllabus, and that's what he's sticking to. He's looking for new stuff all the time. He's looking for the academy to to bring players through, um, and clearly there's work to be to be done on that score. Uh, and he was very respectful of Graham Carr when 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 I was there, talking about mm. you know the players that he's brought through. But you know, this is something. The final thing isn't some, is something that we perhaps have all overlooked. This guy's contact book. Mm. You know, he's a guy that work, has worked at Real Madrid. He's worked in England for many years. He's worked in Italy. For God's sake, this guy has got a contact book. He knows players, and he knows people that knows that know players as well. So. We're very, very fortunate to have him at the club. Very fortunate indeed in the, the contacts and the intellectual kind of cachet he brings to us. It's, you know, I'm gushing, but um, it's a long time since I felt that way about a Newcastle United manager. I think we've seen the evidence, uh, or the, some positive evidence of that, and he talked to us about the Wijnaldum deal and how at the end of it, it was in the media, he just ran Klopp. And it's all well and good having the number because Joe Kinnear allegedly had the numbers. Mm. It's having the gravitas and the respect to ring a man like Jürgen Klopp and just say, come on, Jürgen, let's, can we sort this out one-to-one? Yeah. What do you want? I'll yeah. tell you. If it's, and they did a deal the next 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. You just you just feel like the club are just going to benefit in so many ways through through things like that. And now obviously not every deal is that simple, sure. as we saw with Sissoko, but from the get, we nailed them off the books. He seemed pleased about that, to get them off the training ground in terms of the time we had before the season. And yeah. it, 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 it could only be a massive benefit of the future of this club. Likewise the um, the Hayden deal, you know, when he was t- he's, he's obviously on good very good terms with uh, Arsene Wenger, who's a very good man to be on very good terms with in my opinion. And and you know he was talking about how that deal was done and how 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 pleased he is having him that lad at the club and you know and I went out thinking he's his main I went out to the training ground on Tuesday night thinking he's his main man Hayden. He loves Hayden. <laughs> Hayden's the linchpin of that team. 
never imagining that he would be <laughs> dropped on a following game. So the guy is working and operating on a on a on a completely different um, level to all of us. So um, you know, um, uh, he, he's he's going to confound us. He's going to surprise us. And on occasion, as he said, he might not get everything right. And um, and I think maybe that's something we want to discuss. I think one of the reasons why we've been invited in. Yeah, for me as well, he he was very proud of his managerial record, which I think is important as well. He, a lot of people try and belittle what he did at various places, not him. And, and most fascinating for me was, was the unbelievable picture-esque memory he has of every football game. He was telling us about a Champions League quarter-final against Benfica where... Um, I forget, I forget now, <laughs> the player Rafa didn't, who, who lost a man at the back post and they got beat, beat one at home and he was talking about when he went up twice in Spain and I think he takes a little bit of a, sees it as a bit of a front when people say can't manage in the championship and he's, he said was he's taken far smaller clubs mm-hmm. with less resources up and he's done it before so he's a man as you'd expect with an enormous amount of self-confidence and he, he knows what he's done in the game. Yeah. Wallace, is there anything yet that, that you'd like to mention in particular that we haven't gone through as we come to the end of the show um, I, I think for me um, just, just in a sense reiterate what uh, what Michael said earlier on when he invited all of us he invited us up to the tactics board as well and presented us with a problem yeah. he said okay this is, this is the way that um, Huddersfield because it was just after the Huddersfield game <laughs> this is the way Huddersfield set up um, on Saturday what would you have done and you're sort of gaping like a goldfish you know um, and you said, well, maybe we could do this. And, well, if he did that, well, they'd do it. Oh, okay. What if he did this? No, you can't do that because they'll do this. And you think, you're not one step ahead of me. You're, yeah. you're four or five steps ahead of me. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, you, you've got so much experience that it's, um, you know, you're operating on a completely different plane to, to normal football fans. And I think, I've, I've got to say, since then, um, looking on things like Twitter and various websites and stuff like that, when I see criticism of him, in, you know, for example, the the Derby game when he dropped in, what's he doing <laughs> dropping in? I'm thinking, well, he's obviously seen something in his physical stats that means that he's not fully up to it, and he'll probably be playing the next game against QPR. You know, trust the bloke; he does know what he's doing, and he do, he knows a lot more than us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm happy um, trust, putting the trust in the former manager of Real Madrid and some Raji <laughs> from Gateshead. <laughs> yeah, so, um, though, having said that, I'm very fond of a lot of Raji from Gateshead. <laughs> but um, I, I, have, I have to say, in terms of returning to Alex's original question as to um, how we became to there, I think there's, a, there's also a why we were there as well. And, um, and I think one of the things that Rafa wants to get out there is, is how important the environment is around the around the club um, and uh, you know so some of the things he was talking about were, were the kind of the atmosphere around Newcastle and, and how we can go and this is true how we can go from euphoria we're almost to despair over two or three results and um, we're almost bipolar or as a group of f- football fans mm. so and he, and he said we will achieve nothing with those peaks and troughs of emotions and, and how important it, and it, it does impact the players um, you know, and I, I've taken to this kind of notion that when a player makes a, a mistake or has a bad game, that's when we need to support him more. That's when we need to shout his name louder. Not when he scored, he's feeling good about himself then or had it put a good tackle in. It's when somebody makes a bad pass or 
puts a goalie under pressure, or a goalie drops a ball or whatever. That's not when we when we need to act like fannies. That's when we need to kind of get behind that player and build his confidence up. And I think that's what Rafa Benitez had us in for. I think he sees the supporters as participants in mm. winning football matches. And you know, when we when I was there, I asked him about about how he's at Newcastle and. And obviously the stars had to be aligned for him to come to Newcastle. Mike Ashley had to make the right offer. He had to have the right authority at the club, all of that. But there were small things that he said, you know, when he brought Liverpool to uh, St James's Park. He always knew it was going to be a good day, a good atmosphere in the stadium and, you know, a formidable atmosphere. And he talked about, he made the actions, you know, rah, you know, when when, uh, when he, the players will walk down the tunnel. Now, we can say that's not important. But it was important enough for him to remember and to remember the results that he got at St James's Park mm. with Liverpool. Um, and he, he claimed that he'd won all of them. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to check that actually. But um, uh, he was quite proud of that of that record. And let's be honest, he, he managed a good Liverpool team. Um, so there were all of that. So I do think, you know, we have to is is the Newcastle United commentariat or part of it. We have to be kind of responsible. And how we um, and how we kind of comment on the club, we haven't got to have knee-jerk reactions. We haven't got to be, you know, kind of getting euphoric because we beat Derby. But it's hard not to because it's been bad for a long time. So you know that is the sunshine that we're that we're now in. Um, and and likewise, not become too despairing when we lose away to Fulham and to Huddersfield. Yeah, I totally echo what you're saying. And he said to us that the reaction at the end of Huddersfield would have made the players nervous about the Reading game, which was three days later, which we went on to win. Yeah. And it is it is very important as fans, people who are listening to this, as Michael says, that there's, there's just no point getting on the team or the players. But if we I don't know, Ipswich in October, if we lose it 1-0, getting, getting angry achieves absolutely nothing. Booing the players achieves nothing. He wants St James's Park to be a totally comfortable place for these young, inexperienced, some of them like to hear, and you mentioned players who've not played in front of a crowd like that before, they need to know that when they step on over that white line, they've got the full bargain, regardless of the performance, the opposition of the St James's Park crowd. And I think it has been a lot better winning matches has helped. And you're right, I mean, after Derby on Saturday, we were just, we were talking about win records and the rest <laughs> of it walking out of Pride Park and how easy it was. But um, yeah, a very, very positive, positive day for us all. And, you know, I mean, we're all excited for the rest of the season. I think we're going to finish things there. And uh, I'll just thank Michael and Moss for the time. And uh, yeah, cheers. We'll have another podcast out uh, midweek after the QPR game. Super. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.